0: This is Daniel Fagella and you're listening to AI Industry. For the first time ever, we have uh, someone with a first name here on AI and Industry that is the same as last week's interviewee. Uh, Last week we interviewed Jan Newman, who's a Senior Director of Applied AI Research at Comcast. This week we interview Jan Kutz, who is a Vice President of Learning and Perception Research at NVIDIA. No relation, I assure you that but they do have the same first name. Um, Jan takes a bit of a different angle and we cover a series of different and exciting topics. This is the fourth episode in our series on AI adoption here on the AI in Industry Podcast. Some of you have already checked out the full report that many of these interviews are based on. Uh, We base these interviews around some of the critical themes in our recent report called Getting Started with AI, Proven Best Practices for AI Adoption. You can learn more about that report at emerj.com slash a. That's a as in adoption, emerge.com, emerge with a j, jcom slash uh, a. So do check that out if the theme of adoption is useful for you. Here's what you're going to learn in this episode. Three bullet points to sort of lead us into the episode itself. First and foremost, Jan speaks to us about what people underestimate when they take a look at a given AI initiative. the c-suite when business leaders look at a given project they could get involved in what are they often missing and kind of leaving out of that equation Um, jan goes into some detail there he also talks about the critical value of data storage not just do we have the data but how is it stored and how accessible is it these are considerations that are part of what often gets missed Uh, and jan provides some insights for thinking through that particular challenge and in addition to that Um, Jan speaks about the importance of getting started with an AI project where you already have a barometer of success. This is actually an insight that we haven't had in any of the other interviews in this series. It's not that those folks blatantly missed it, but it's kind of a unique little gem. Jan talks about why selecting an AI project needs to be in an area where you already have some way of measuring your current process that you can stack AI up against the way you're handling your process right now in terms of cost, in terms of results, whatever the case may be. Um, Jan goes into a bit of nuance and detail there, and I think that that's going to be tremendously useful for those of you who are thinking about where should I and my division or my company be applying AI first, or the many of you who are in IT services that are helping your clients make those decisions, you're going to want to listen to the end of this episode, uh, because I think that that was kind of the gem of the episode itself. I enjoyed the whole thing. Really glad we were able to have Jan on. Uh, NVIDIA is uh, an extremely hot company at this point. I wanted to make sure we had somebody from NVIDIA on this series, and Jan was just the man for the job. So without further ado, this is Jan with NVIDIA here on AI and in Industry. So Jan, the first question in our series here on AI adoption is about misconception. So I'll, I'll kind of kick off with this. In your, from your opinion, you know, seeing businesses attempt to adopt AI successfully, unsuccessfully, what do you think are the biggest common misconceptions that business leaders have when they go into getting, getting into their first AI project? What are they kind of thinking incorrectly?
1: Right. I think probably one of the bigger mistakes that people make is that AI is sort of a turnkey solution that you can just you know, get from somewhere and apply to your specific problem. Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. So a lot of AI that's being developed today and used today to actually bespoke or custom to your given problem. So you need to go into this knowing that you, know, you can't just buy a solution off the shelf, you might have to invest you know, into talent and you know, recruit talent to, to develop your you know, customized solution for your specific problem. I think that's probably the yeah. biggest misconception that people have about AI.
0: Okay, so yeah, believing this to be some sort of flip a switch and our our problem is solved. When it comes to a better way to think about that, you know, I've I've heard some interesting analogies about how people should should think about that. You, you're kind of bringing up the the silver bullet sort of thing, instead of kind of imagining this to be something that we can kind of plug in and, and make work. What would be a better way of thinking about it? You know, how would you describe it?
1: Yeah, so the way I, the way I think about it is is the following. So if in your business you have some data that you like to analyze, that's probably the most common use case for applying AI, right? You have data and you would like to make sense of it or predict something based on the data. Yeah,
0: maybe a recommendation engine, maybe a fraud model, whatever it is. Right.
1: Whatever it is, right? Yep. So most likely you already have some people doing something along those lines. And it might be just looking at the data by hand, right? Say your supermarket chain, you know, a small supermarket chain, and you're trying to predict you know, how much hot dogs, how many hot dogs I should by, you know, for July 4th weekend, right? So I have some experience from the past and I apply it and, and I might do this by hand, just based on experience. You know, if you're a bigger corporation, you might be doing you know, some Excel spreadsheet modeling, for instance. So you're already sort of getting to the point where you, you might want to apply AI. And if you have sort of use cases like this, then applying AI is, is you know, a reasonable thing to do. Now, the difference to you know, the Excel spreadsheet modeling is that now you will, in addition, need to invest into yeah, a person maybe looking at the data and sifting through it and actually determining whether yeah it's appropriate for a specific AI model or which AI model is, is appropriate for your specific data set. So you need yeah, somebody with expertise to come in and actually look at your specific problem. I, I think you don't get around doing this.
0: So just to maybe clarify here, Jan, and I I appreciate the framing, you know, if it's going to be a spreadsheet, the data can be ugly, the data can be in different formats. So long as I as a human can kind of coax out the patterns with my eyeballs, and I can sort things and look at things through enough lenses to sort of find a pattern, you know, make a better guess, use the data to kind of inform myself, I can do whatever I want in Excel. Potentially, but with machine learning, of course, what you're saying here, and and I think the readers, you know, our listeners should should obviously take this seriously. Is that we've got to have somebody with data science expertise to say, will this data even be something we could train a model on, and are there even models that could help us solve this problem? In other words, is this even solvable with AI?
1: Right. So I've seen cases where people thought, well, I have all this cool, interesting data, and it happened to be basically unstructured text, and then it becomes really difficult to actually do anything with it, even though the content of the text might be important and interesting but it's difficult to coke something out of it of course
0: yeah 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 so yeah you can just presume well i have such a volume of data and obviously uh, amount of data what what defines big data for you know toyota is quite different for you know a small or mid-sized chain of grocery stores but you know i have so much data surely i can use ai to find this out and right. find this out and find this out well as it turns out that's not the case we have to be able to kind of, you know, what what do you call that phase, Jan? Is this, I don't know if, if NVIDIA has terminology or you have a way that you like to phrase it. Sounds like there's kind of an assessment here as to what's the problem we're trying to solve, what's the data we're working with, and getting a diagnostic on, is this worth even trying? What do we call that?
1: Yeah, we, we don't have a good name for it, actually. It's probably huh. an exploratory phase, but we usually, that's one of the first questions that always gets asked, you know, what's the data? Do we have data for this? Is it the right data? Is it you know, good data, right? There's going to be a lot of data that's yeah maybe not as clean, or maybe you have lots of data, but it's not labeled. So you would need to you know, label your data depending on what, what AI you're going to use. Yeah. So data is the first thing that, that we look at.
0: So exploration phase to some degree, and obviously that involves some data science expertise in the room. I know a lot of the time vendor companies, Jan, will be the ones to help do that because a lot of the time companies yes. don't have... The in-house data expertise—that seems a little bit dangerous, though. I mean, in an ideal situation, would you suspect that you'd really want to have somebody in-house with your financial interests in mind, helping to make that thumbs up or thumbs down? Can we use this with AI decision? What's your take?
1: Yeah, it's—it's it's, maybe as a first step, having a vendor, yeah, you know, look at is—is is not a bad thing. At least you get some initial idea of whether yeah, you know, it's possible or not. But. If you're a large-ish company, investing into in-house expertise is not that difficult anymore, right? There's lots of really good online resources you know, to train someone to at least yeah. you know, to be somewhat up to speed and, and being able to make a somewhat informed decision whether this data is actually useful or not. You know, it's, it's not that difficult anymore.
0: Yeah, so to, to, to get a fundamental sense. Now, yes. it's obviously still more difficult than it will be in five years, but it's much easier than it was maybe five years ago when these skills... Right and even these conceptual understandings of what machine learning can do were were almost sort of not not thought of by the vast majority of business people. Okay, cool. So I think as a frame that might be an interesting place to start for folks. Second question here is around expectations. You know, if you were you're sitting down, you know, in a boardroom or with the C-suite or some functional team that's that's really heading into a first AI project, maybe maybe it's customer service, maybe it's detecting fraud, whatever the case may be. What are the expectations these people should have going in they already know they're going to need this exploratory phase but they're, they're about to invest in you know using this data training this data, making this thing do something productive in, in the business. what expectations should they have on the onset of getting into adopting AI right so there's a few things so one is it, it takes a bit of time
1: right again there's no turnkey solutions so or, or very few so you need you need to invest in a team or a number of people. To help you spin up um, your initial AI project, yeah, you need to be aware that you will probably have to invest in some kind of infrastructure, be it in the cloud or be it, you know, on premise. Yeah, now of course much of this done on, on GPUs, so you'll need to be aware that, that there's some you know, infrastructure involved that you might not have or likely you actually don't have yeah. in house at the moment. So that that's an important yeah. You know, Thing to look at. You might have to invest into you know, people labeling data, depending on what exactly yeah. you want to do, um, which can be a much bigger effort than, than people realize at the beginning. That's something um, to be aware of. I think th- those are probably the, the bigger stumbling blocks that people yeah, might not realize.
0: Completely agree. And maybe we'll we'll poke a little bit into both of those, Jan. So when it comes to infrastructure, you, know, you had mentioned GPUs. You had mentioned Kind of a couple short points there. When people think about okay, what's the new infrastructure I'm going to need? Is it you know on premise or more commonly cloud compute resource? You know like like GPUs. Is it uh, maybe entirely new? You know when I think about infrastructure needs for AI, I sometimes will think about entirely new kind of data infrastructure altogether. How we store data, how we harmonize data how we enter data in terms of format and whatnot. Sometimes infrastructure kind of in, involves all those core systems. Yes. What, what do you include in infrastructure? I, I think of like how we sort and store data, new new formats, new standards. And I and then I think about the compute. Um, are there other factors there, other things to bear in mind for infrastructure?
1: Yeah. So I think you mentioned the most important ones, which is you know, data, data storage, compute. Um, those are probably the Biggest ones that, that one needs to take into account. Especially right. data storage um, is often a bit sort of, yeah, people give it a, only a second thought, but it's actually really important because I mean, a lot of machine learning algorithms, yeah, they, they use a lot of data and you need to be able to pump you know, a lot of data from your drives or wherever you store it to your compute. And it's actually, yeah, not that easy to set it up in a way that, that it's efficient and effective.
0: Yeah, so it, it sounds as though people should be prepared to potentially you know be 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 building a fresh data infrastructure of how we're we're sorting storing making sense of making accessible the core data that we're going to train the system on that's one thing that maybe people aren't as prepared for the other thing is just how much you know compute resource you might need to actually get a right. fraud model off the ground, get a recommendation model off the ground, get a you know predictive model around, you know inventory off the ground, whatever whatever the case may be. Right. Um you also talked about kind of, you know, cleaning and dealing with the data. So sure, we might have to organize it for infrastructure, but also we need to make sure that this stuff is machine readable. Um right. obviously this gets very complex at a technical level. When you explain kind of the cleaning of the harmonization, right? There's so many words. When, when you explain how data needs to be in order to be quote unquote machine readable to train a model to do something productive with, how do you often explain that to executive teams? I
1: think the easiest way to, to yeah you know, think about it is that the data needs to be yeah you know, in a consistent format. Right, so that's number one. You can't have it in, in disparate ways, or at least that makes it very difficult um, yep. if it's not in a in a uniform if it doesn't follow a uniform convention. Yep. Luckily for, for a lot of data, that's actually true. But then for some data, that, that's not the case, especially if it's been taken over many years. You know, yeah. The systems might have changed, and then the data format might have changed. So you need to make sure at least it's all in one consistent format. So that's the first step. But then, of course, the second step is to make sure that the data that's actually there is good data, meaning there's not a lot of noise, uh, and so forth. And and that, depending on the machine learning algorithms, you can deal potentially with some noise in your data, but some methods require, yeah. You know, as little noise as possible. So you might have to invest into yeah, methods that can actually filter out some of the data that's probably not yeah, good data.
0: Yeah, and, and oftentimes that's going to involve not just you know the data science talent, but you might need the business people, right? Because maybe it's possible yes. that the data scientists would say, okay, this number says 9,000, that seems fine. But a business person would say, what, we've never had 9,000 <laughs> of that in the inventory, get rid of that. Right. So it seems like a collaborative effort.
1: I think so. So the you know, one problem is that a data scientist might not know much about the subject matter. Yeah. But if it's financial data, they might not have a good understanding of what financial data actually means. So it's really important to talk to you know, the stakeholders who actually understand what data represents. The things that I'm yeah you know, predicting, are they even reasonable? Does it make sense what I'm what I'm seeing here? Is the data sensible?
0: Yes. Uh, so yeah, you, you've you've got to get a perspective on the people who know how to deal with data, but you also have to get a perspective from the people who know the data itself, so they can say right. what is noise versus what is not. So you've kind of defined two different things. One is like harmonization and, and format. So maybe we used to say last names. You know, if we think about a bank, right? They're they're trying to train something on customer records. Maybe customer records beyond a certain period, or customer records in wealth management versus retail banking were in all caps or uh, something, and then in another instance, it was lowercase, or maybe they, they only did a middle initial versus a middle full name, like this kind of discrepancies. Right. That's that's the first issue. The second issue is noise, which I, I take it that you meant just kind of wrong data, stuff that right. that the wrong things are in the wrong fields. There's absolutely no value there. We need to get rid of it. Is that what noise is?
1: Um, it can be, it depends on it. So that, that's one source of noise, right? It's sort of just the wrong data for whatever reason that, that ended up in your data set. Or it could be that the data you have comes from some system that doesn't necessarily produce accurate reading. So it could be measurements of some kind, right? And sometimes the measurement device gives you a noisy or false reading. And then you need to make sure that you can deal with with those types of measurements um, as well. So it yeah. depends on what what your source of data actually is.
0: Yep, dealing with physical sensors in the physical world, always a challenge uh, in 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 the in the AI space. That's not the focus of this interview, but uh, g- good good point in terms of source of noise. Last question, Jan, is about determining a first AI project. Nvidia obviously is working with some of the biggest companies in the world in this space um, on on. Pure hardcore research, as well as a lot of different business use cases from automotive to you name it. When you think about a team just getting into AI, you know we're, we're in the fraud department of a bank, or, or we're at the C level at a big e-commerce company, and they're saying we need to build these competencies. We need to start, you know, getting some action going here in terms of delivering value, so that we don't kind of leave our technical teams behind in terms of leveraging what really will be a sea change in our tech you know, where do they go about making a first project? I've heard some people argue, we need to start small and, and, you know, build competencies and, and you know, prove things. I've heard other people say, we need to focus on the core data infrastructure and like bigger changes that are ultimately going to drive bigger value. How do you like to help people make that decision?
1: I think it depends a bit on what you would like to achieve. If, if you would like to make sure that people in your team or, or that there's a team that actually has or developed some competency in AI, it makes sense to start with something smaller, right? D- don't go for, you know, redoing your fraud detection model. That probably shouldn't be your first project. I would start somewhere small to actually learn some of the methods and, and the infrastructure that might be necessary to actually do AI and then build up. And I would, in particular, I would pick something where you know what a good model or where you already have a yeah, reasonably good model for, say, fraud prediction, right? Yep. Because in that case, you can actually compare the results you get with your you know, newly developed AI with what you already have. So at least you know whether you're doing the right thing or not. The danger of doing some something completely new, you don't have anything to compare it to. So you don't actually know whether you're doing the right thing or not. So pick yeah. something where you have some expertise, you already know what the result should roughly look like. So you can actually make sure that yeah, DI did your training um, actually does the right thing?
0: Okay, so here's here's kind of what I'm hearing. I'm imagining maybe a recommendation engine, and Jan, you can tell me if I'm on the right page. I'm imagining a you know a recommendation engine as an application. If we're an e-commerce company that really doesn't have an existing you know if-then scenario kind of recommendation model, we just have products and we kind of do promotions when we do them, and we, we haven't done really any any robust You know, recommendation kind of programming here, going from that place all the way to, you know, trying to catch up with Amazon in terms of recommending products, that might be too tough because maybe we don't even know what a tiny common sense recommendation. Okay, take everybody that's bought product A and let's make sure they have follow up to buy product B. Let's just hard code some stuff that we think would make sense. And then at least we'll have what our recommendations are like and we can have something to compare. Is that what you mean? Like instead of leaping in where you don't know how to measure it, have something in place
1: have something in place, and most likely you have something in place already right if you're're you're an e commerce vendor, probably you have something in in you place hope, already yes. you would hope and then if you develop an AI model that that's going to replace your current model, then at least yeah you know, if you start like that, you can compare the AI model to your current model and see if it's better right so you have some metric to go by otherwise it's really difficult to say whether you're on the right path or not if you have nothing to compare it to
0: yeah so rather than kicking AI off, I really like this insight actually. I don't think I've heard this very often. Rather than kicking AI off in a space where you think it can solve a problem, well, you might want to start with something that's not terribly complicated because you want to build a competency. And you also want to start it somewhere where you have a benchmark of what your best human effort is. And it's not it's not going to be rocket science to say, is this doing better than we were doing before? Right. Um right. Huh, that's yeah, I think that's a very salient a very salient point. Okay, so we're talking about potentially starting small to build competency. We're also talking about starting somewhere where we already have a benchmark. Um, how else? If there's maybe one other last little point here, are there any other kind of tidbits about what should be the factors that help us make that decision about where to point the AI cannon first?
1: The other, we sort of talked about it as well. The other point is pick something where you actually have good data which yeah. unfortunately requires some expertise to determine whether yep. you know the data you have is good or not but you can make your life really difficult by picking a, a problem with just data that's just not you know not very amenable um to ai whereas if you pick a problem where the data is actually you know fairly straightforward to use you make your life a lot easier i would start with something where data is is Good. In quotes.
0: Yep. Okay. So three points as we wrap up here, Jan. Um, in terms of selecting an AI project, you know, we'll want to we'll want to begin somewhere that we think could be in the reasonably challenging or pretty accessible side of things, rather than the astronomically complex side of things. Particularly if we're just getting used to these skills, that's one point, and that might involve a data scientist in the room. Uh, to say, oh, no, that's complicated. You guys don't want right. to do that versus. So we, we, we're we going to need, in all of these decisions, I'm taking it for granted that the the listeners should understand we've got our subject matter experts and we've got to have somebody with really strong data science chops in the room. So right. something accessible. Okay. We need subject matter experts and data scientists for that. Something where we have strong measurement uh, That that might also be you know we we'd want both of those parties there in the room, something we already have a benchmark. we know what our best human efforts are, our best software driven uh, results are. We want to know if we can beat it with with AI. and then number three, is our data enough, and is it the right kind and is it accessible enough to get this done? And that's really going to be leaning on the data science talent to help us decide. It sounds like those are three nice barometers to make a good decision right. I like it. all right, cool. Uh, Well, Jan, that's that's all that we have for time, but I appreciate you shaking through. We just got through the three main questions. I think this has been extremely helpful. So thanks for joining us here on AI and Industry. Perfect. So that wraps up this episode on the AI and Industry podcast. There's a lot of topics that Jan touched on that tie pretty well to some of our other insights from the Getting Started in AI report. Um, One of those is around measurement. Jan put a lot of emphasis on making sure to tell our listeners here that We have to have a strong existing benchmark of measuring whatever it is that we're going to be trying to improve with AI. How well are our current systems doing? If we can't quantify that, it's going to be very challenging to have a sense as to whether AI is a better option or not. And this extends beyond financial metrics like efficiencies. It extends into customer satisfaction, into reducing false positives, reducing time, whatever the case may be. Can we measure it now? I think that's a critical point and certainly something that reverberates in our full AI Adoption Research Report. If you haven't seen our report called Getting Started with AI, Best Practices of Adoption, be sure to go to emerj.com slash a1. That's emerge.com slash a1. And you can learn more about that report. That report really is drawing from over 50 of our best interviews here on the AI and Industry Podcast, distilling what enterprise leaders, what consultants, what technical leaders absolutely have to know to adopt AI. It is not written for folks who code. It's written for people who lead businesses or lead initiatives uh, or or who are on teams that are doing so. So do check that out. That's emerj.com slash A1. In our next episode here on the AI and industry podcast will be going into our last episode on AI adoption, where Marcus Roth, our operations manager, is going to be interviewing me about some of the critical themes and critical insights from our full getting started with AI research report. Some of the things that surprised me and some of the insights that really sung to be true uh, across sectors that we think our listeners need to know. So that's going to be a shorter episode, but very research dense. Uh, ask you to stick around and check that one out in the coming episode here on the AI and Industry Podcast. Next month, the entire theme is changing and we are going to be shifting over to a focus on return on investment. But we have one more episode here on the AI adoption series. And that's going to be our analyst call. So stick around for the next episode. I'll catch you then.